Uh, my name is Barak. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship. I'm usually at Creekside, but today I get the pleasure and honor of hanging out with you as we open up God's Word. I'd like to take this opportunity also to welcome those who are joining us online and those who are in Platinum as well. Um, we are talking about persecution today. Um, but before we get into it, I'd like to tell you about this, this beautiful place uh, that I love so much. It's one of my favorite places on earth. It's a small island in Lake Victoria uh, in Kenya. Uh, my people call that lake Namlolwe. It means endless waters. Uh, it feels like the waters never end. And if you ever go to that place, it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. Uh, and I'm biased, one, because I'm Kenyan, <laughs> uh, but two, also, it's because where, it's where my people come from. See, that place, sunsets are big enough that you feel like you can hug the sun. Um, and, and in the evening, the fishermen come out with their, with their boats with the lights on them, and it feels like the sky and the stars have fallen on the lake. It's really absolutely beautiful. Um, but here's something I don't like about that place. Snakes. There are too many snakes. Uh, it's home to the python, the black mamba, and the pafada. Dangerous creatures. But it, it is also home to the most dangerous animal in Africa. Do you know what the most dangerous animal in Africa is? Mosquito is an insect. Come on, no. <laughs> animal, animal. <laughs> the hippo. The hippo is the most dangerous animal in Africa. They're just generally horrible creatures. Uh, they're just horrible. They, uh, first of all, they're, they're fiercely territorial. They, they like their territory. If you invade their territory in any way, they will attack you. I promise you that. And they're exceptional swimmers. They can sometimes swim faster than a boat with a running motor. And they, they swim really, really fast. And they attack even boats. Now, and, and, and they're deceptively fast. Also... Their jaws, they open at 180 degrees, okay? And if you watch documentaries, you can see them snapping a crocodile in half in one bite. It's, they're just... And then they're fast, extremely fast, deceptionally fast. And I know what you're thinking. They can't be that fast. Imagine, look at them. <laughs> I know that's what you're thinking. There is no way that thing is fast. I know that's what you're thinking. And I know also you're thinking, I could probably outrun a hippo. No, you cannot. You cannot. They run to about 30 kilometers per hour. 30 kilometers per hour. That means if they're running in a neighborhood, they're going too fast. Okay? You, the average human being, runs at 13 kilometers per hour. That's less than half its natural speed. You cannot outrun a hippo. The worst part is this. They're vegetarians. So they just kill for the sake of killing, you know. It's not like they're going to eat. Hippos are responsible for over 3,000 human deaths in Africa every single year. But if you ever went to this beautiful island I'm telling you about, Mbita Island, or in places where there are hippos, you will see them walking around less than 10 meters from people. And when I went to Mbita Island the first time, I saw hippos like just close by, and I asked my friend, I was like, how? And you guys are afraid. And he told me, you know, for all their power, for all their speed, for all their exceptional swimming, for all the skills they have, they have one fatal flaw. Hippos cannot do this. <laughs> so do you know what people do? They just build short fences. That's it. For you to live safely, 
with hippos, you just build a short fence. See, there's a danger that hippos promise, and there's a way to overcome that danger. You simply build a short fence because they cannot skip over it. Today, as we look at the promise that Jesus made, we would be tempted to think, is there a way we can build up fences or even short fences to keep us safe from the danger of persecution? I actually thought to, uh, thought to title this message, How to Avoid Persecution or How to Live a Safe Christian Life. But the truth is, that is impossible. If persecution was a dangerous animal, I want you to know that we cannot avoid it by building fences. Persecution is a danger that is promised to all followers of Jesus. And each and every one of us who are followers of Jesus will face it at some point in varying degrees. And as we read John 15, you will see Jesus gives us reasons why persecution will come. He makes it a promise. This is how the world will respond to his followers. He says to them, there's a great persecution coming your way and you cannot avoid it. He wants them to know where the hate and will come from. He wants them to remember him and his word. And he also wants them to know what to do even in the face of persecution. He specifically tells them, essentially, speak the gospel. Do not shy away from it. He wants them to know that if we believe in him and behave like we believe in him, then the world will treat us the same way it treated him. Basically, we just don't need to believe in him. We also have to leave it. Let us pray and get right into it. Dear Father, thank you for this opportunity I have to stand before your people to open up your word for your glory. Lord, I pray that you will prepare our hearts to hear from you. And not only hear, Lord, but I pray that you'll give us the courage to do what your word commands so that we're not just hearers of it, but also doers of your word. Lord, I pray that we will actually practice what we learn today from your scriptures. Lord, I pray for myself as well, that you would give me the courage to step out of the way and allow you to minister to your people through your word and through your spirit for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 15, verse 18 to 25, and the word of God says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have sinned, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. See, this is part of a conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples. It's what we call the upper room discourse. It's actually the last conversation he has with them before he goes to the cross, uh, before he, is actually, he actually faces the greatest persecution in terms of him being crucified. 
Last week, uh, Pastor Bill told us about the conversation he had with them concerning the promise he made, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. It's such a beautiful, beautiful promise. But also he told us about the difficulty of the moment. Essentially, imagine this. They have followed Jesus for three years. They have given their lives to Jesus. They have abandoned everything else and they walk with Jesus. And finally, at this particular point in this conversation, Jesus is telling them, I am going, you are not coming with me, you are staying here and I am leaving. And I'm not just leaving, they're going to put me on a cross and they're going to kill me. Imagine uh, the, 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 the sadness. Imagine Imagine the grief they're experiencing in that moment, in, in that particular message after he makes the promise that whatever you ask in my name I will do, it's also the same place where he says to them this, John chapter 14 verse 12, truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. See, most of us would love to hang on to the idea that one day or even already we would love to do greater works than Jesus. But he revisits this promise. And I'd like for us to put a pin on it just for now. You will notice there is a small pin there. And that simply means that at some point in this message, I will come back to this particular verse. So remember, just put a pin on it and I will come back to it, I promise. Just hang on to that for a moment. Today, though, we are at a different part of that upper room discourse where Jesus makes this other promise. Essentially, he says to them, I promise you, they will persecute you. He wasn't just promising them, he was promising us as well. We will be persecuted. That promise did not have an expiry date. If the world hates you, this is Jesus saying to them, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. See, Sometimes we want to claim the promises of God when they are easy. We want to walk around the Bible like we do in a supermarket and pick and choose which promises to take and which ones to leave behind. Give me that, give, and it will come back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken over, and running over. Give me that goodness and mercy will follow me for the rest of my life. But not this one, not this persecution one. Check the expiry date on that one. That one does not exist for me. I recently had a song, all the promises of God, all of them, all the promises of God in the Bible, they are mine in Jesus' name. I could bet, if I was a betting man, that the writer of this song was not thinking about this persecution promise. Are you a follower of Jesus? Do you believe in him? Then brace yourself. Persecution is coming. You will be persecuted. The world will hate you. See, in his letter to the Philippians, Paul puts it this way. First, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And if you're wondering... What is this persecution we're talking about? What, what, what is this dangerous creature Barak is talking about? Simply put, the best way I can define for you persecution is harm from others because of Jesus. See, maybe you are thinking to yourself, maybe there is a way to avoid persecution. Maybe you're thinking, is there a way we can keep persecution at bay? How can we or I build a short fence around myself so that I can keep this dangerous animal persecution? at bay and keep myself at a safe distance for, from it. How can we keep ourselves safe? 
Well, Jesus says to them and to us, not only is persecution coming, but here's what I want you to know, here's what I want you to remember, and here's what I want you to do. Those are the three movements we shall make today. The first one is no. See, first thing Jesus wants us to know, just like he wanted the disciples to know, is this, that persecution is fueled by hate. He repeats that word hate about eight times in these short verses. He says essentially to them, there is a great persecution coming your way, and it is fueled by the greatness of the world's hate. But also Jesus wants you to know, and wants the disciples and us as well to know, that it will happen to you, however, It has nothing to do with you. It's as if he's saying, it's not you, it's me. Essentially, it's not personal to you, it's personal to Jesus. It has everything to do with Jesus. There's this McDonald's ad um, that ran about maybe five or six years ago where someone walks into McDonald's and orders a maestro burger. Now, it's, it's kind of like a reality TV thing where the, the people ordering do not know what's about to happen, but there are actors all around. Um, and the moment they order the maestro burger, the speakers come on and you hear a whole orchestra singing, maestro burger. You're like, oh, wow, okay, I just want a burger. And so they bring you the burger, and before you start biting, the orchestra starts playing, and you hear drums, and, and the screens come on, and then the lead singer comes on the screen, and he says, before you take a bite, what's your name? You're like, me? Yeah, yes, you, what's your name? And the moment you say your name, the whole orchestra starts singing, take a bite, take a bite, Barak, take a bite. I'm like, ah. <laughs> And you bite into it, and they sing, and they celebrate, and all that. The thing is, there was absolutely nothing special about the people who were sung for. The rest who did not order the maestro burger were not sung for. What triggered the ad was not the person or their uniqueness or their greatness. The orchestra responded to the maestro burger. Simply put, a choice was made, and as a result, the orchestra sang and performed to that choice. However, they sang to the individuals, They performed for them and to them, but it wasn't personal to them. It was because of a choice. Jesus wants you to know that it's nothing personal. It's not you, it's him. This hatred that is about to perform for you and to you, it has nothing to do with you. It has something to do with a choice that has been made. Look at how he describes the hate. John chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Because you have been chosen out of the world, because you have chosen to follow Jesus, the world will hate you. And the persecution that is coming your way, the promised persecution, that dangerous beast that is persecution is fueled by hate and hatred towards Jesus. Jesus wants you to know, he wants you to keep in mind, he says it this way, keep in mind that it hated me first. It's not personal to you, it is personal to Jesus. It's not you, it is him. And because of that hatred, they persecuted him and they crucified him. Now, the, practicals, the practical ones amongst you have, have already seen how they could build a short fence to keep themselves safe from this ferocious beast that is persecution. 
He said the first way you could build a short fence around you is to hate the world back, to hate the persecutors. You could simply say, if they hate me and they hate my Savior, I will hate them right back. I will also show them that I can hate also. I can hate too. The problem with that argument is it's not your fault, it's my fault. I started this sermon at verse 18. If I had just started at verse 17, this is what Jesus says. This is my command. Love each other. How humbling to find that Christ had to command us to love one another. How amazing that he chooses to remind us about the call to love just before he tells us that the world will hate us for following him. He repeats this command in verse 17, remembering that he had just done so in chapter 13. He had already given them the same command in chapter 13, verse 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And now he reminds us again in verse 17, having just said the same thing in verse 12 again. He had said this in verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? While we were still his enemies, he died for us. Maybe it was because he foreknew that some of us would seek to respond to the hate of persecution or the nastiness of the world with our own brand of righteous hatred. Whatever may or may not have been before him, one thing cannot be denied. Jesus Christ has expressly commanded his people to love one another. And just in case, just in case you think it is me reading into the text and giving my own opinion, here is what he expressly says about hating persecutors. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. These are the words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus himself removes hate as a fence-building option. Maybe you think, okay, hate is too, too far to go. Um, I, there's a different way I can go about this. This is another way I could build a fence around myself. I could actually choose to, to blend into the world, to hide, not to be recognized, to fit in, to act cool, not to cause any waves, to behave like everyone else, to be the cool Christian saying things like, I am a Christian, but the cool kind, not like the other Christian. I'm, 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 I'm very different. I try to fit in and fit into the world to minimize yourself, to minimize your God, and to minimize your faith. You could try, but it is an exhausting process. My friend recently got a kidney transplant. The last time I was in Kenya in February, I, I had lunch with him, and I asked him how the process of healing is going. And he told me he's, he's constantly taking medication. Every day on the hour, he has to take medication. He cannot miss it. He cannot extend by a few minutes. He has to take it every single day at the same time. Otherwise, his body will reject the kidney. He has to take this medication to trick his body into believing that this foreigner he now has belongs to him. And, and even with the medication, it is not guaranteed 
that the body will still accept the kidney. However, every single day, he has to do it like clockwork, consistently without stopping. Otherwise, his body will reject the foreigner. You, dear Christian, are not of this world. For you to fit into the world, you will have to keep making compromises to fit in. And the moment you stop, the world will reject you. And even when you make those compromises, the world may still reject you. Jesus puts it this way in verse 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Now you could try for the rest of your life to fit in, to keep trying to tell the world that you are part of it, or you could just choose to live for Jesus and accept that the world will reject you. You know, most of us would like to imagine that if we were in the old times when the early persecution broke out, most of us would like to imagine that we would be among the brave few who chose to die for Jesus. Most of us, would like to imagine that if we were in communist Europe in the 70s and 80s, or if we were in Nazi Germany, or even in Rwanda in 1994, that we would have been among the few Christians who would have done the right thing and died for Jesus if it came to it. I don't dispute it at all. Most probably many of us would have. But remember that persecution attacks our behavior just as much as it attacks our belief. And so, instead of asking whether you would die for Jesus and your belief, I actually think that that is the wrong question. The better question is this. Today, right now, in this city you dwell in, in the organization you work in, in the school you study at, would you live for Jesus? See, in order for you to die for Jesus, you have to live for him first. Would you live for Jesus right now, today? Allow me to ask another set of questions. See, maybe that question made you feel a certain type of way. Maybe as I asked that question, you thought back to a time you had an opportunity to actually live for Jesus, to represent him, to stand up for him, or even to speak for him, and you did not. No judgment here. There is no condemnation coming from me. As I wrote this message, I actually thought back to many opportunities I have had that I squandered away. But I'd like you to go back to that moment for a second. Please go back to that moment because I'd like to ask you a few more questions. When was the last time you chose to blend in with the world rather than follow Christ? What caused you to break under the pressure? What were you afraid of losing? What was it that made you choose to blend in instead of stand out for Christ? What can you do to stand for Jesus the next time you are in that exact situation again? You see, making a plan for the next opportunity to live for Jesus is absolutely key. Be prepared, because guess what? Those opportunities will come again, maybe even this coming week. So how will you live for Jesus? So, there's one more thing we need to know before we move on to the next point. It's not just know anyway, it's actually to be comforted by. It's in the promise Jesus makes. Jesus makes it clear that the world will hate you because Jesus and God love you. 
See, God's love is enough for us, even if the world hates us. I would rather be loved by God and hated by the world rather than be loved by the world and rejected by God. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he also said, take heart, be comforted. I have overcome the world. John chapter 16, verse 33. When you belong to Jesus, yes, the world will hate you, and that may have real life consequences. But Jesus says, take heart, be comforted, for he has overcome the world. So we know what we need to know now. But then Jesus also tells them there is something I need you to remember. He moves in this conversation with the disciples and moves from what they want. He wants them to know to what he wants them to remember. Even in the face of great persecution that is coming their way, Jesus wants them to remember the greatness of the master, the greatness of him. And as I say that, you might imagine that he is about to remind them of a triumphant truth. Maybe you're thinking this is that triumphant point in the message. But look at what he says. Verse 20, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teachings, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Again, in a way, he's going back to the idea that it is not you. It's me, Jesus himself. They will treat you this way because of my name. Jesus wants them to remember how the world treated the master. He's essentially saying to them, remember me. Remember the hatred I personally witnessed throughout my public ministry. Remember, essentially, how Jesus himself has been hated because as the light, because he says he's the light, he exposes the world's deeds. Because Jesus is the light and everyone who is evil hates the light because it exposes their deeds and unmasks them as evil. Jesus wants them to remember and us as well that darkness has nothing to do with light. He says to them essentially, remember also that I am the master and you are my servants and I am sending you out into the world to be the light also. So he says to them, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teachings, they will obey yours also. Remember, this great persecution that is coming your way, this raging beast that wants to attack, remember that it is not just planning on attacking your belief, but also targeting your behavior. Remember, before you die for Jesus, you have to live for him first. It's not whether you get to die for him because of your belief. It is whether you will live for him now. Essentially, how will you behave? Do you really think that the world wants to hear that the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ? Do you think the world wants to know that there is only one way to salvation? after they have tried to find for years another way and they've convinced themselves that there are different ways to, to get to the top of that mountain? Do you think the world wants to know that Jesus Christ is the only truth, the life, and uh, the way? They don't. So what do we do? Do we stop teaching it? No. 
We stand on the word of God because it is the truth. And we teach the word of God because with the promise of the persecution, there is also a promise of obedience or response. Jesus reminds them and us, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Essentially, they will respond. So it's not just doom and gloom. There are some who will respond and there are some who will reject it and also reject you. He starts with reminding them and us that the servant is also not greater than the master. Just for clarity's sake, servant, us, master, Jesus. Therefore, the question that comes to mind is this. Is Jesus Lord and master over your life or is the world your master? Think about it. Consider it. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See, the only way we would ever want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus is if he is master of our lives. It takes us back to the earlier question, not whether you are willing to die for him, but whether you are willing to live for him. And now Paul adds another layer to what it means to live for for Jesus. He says, you have to live a godly life. In Philippians, he actually puts it this way, live your lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. See, there's so many examples of people in Scripture who actually chose to live their lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, and they were persecuted for it. Think of Stephen, who was stoned. Think of Paul. Think of Daniel. Actually, let's go back to that idea of Daniel. It's, It's a great example in the Old Testament. Daniel got this promotion in his job and he was placed in a position of authority where he worked. And others in that government were not pleased with this and they decided to look for a way to have him lose his job. And so they were looking for something to report him for so that he could lose his position. And, and when I say it that way, it just sounds like a story out there. So let me bring it closer and ask you this way. Can you imagine that your co-workers right now are secretly looking for a reason to have you fired. Without you knowing, they are combing through all your reports, all your submissions, all your accounts, all your clients, your emails, your browsing history. They're looking for a reason. How long will it take them before they find a reason to have you fired? This is what the Word of God says. At this, the administrators and the satraps trying to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Verse 5, finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Because he lived for God, he was put in a position to die for God also. He lived in a manner worthy of his faith. So much so that the world around him knew that the only way to trip him up was to mess with his faith. Remember, if they persecuted Christ, they will persecute you too. You are not greater than the master. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I found a loophole. 
I have found a way to build a short fence around myself to keep that dangerous, ferocious animal persecution at bay. Maybe you're thinking about the story of Daniel because that story ended with Daniel being thrown in a lion's den, but God shut the lion's mouths and they just slept with him the whole night. They just hung around him and they were like pets for him. And even as you're thinking about Paul, as I mentioned, Paul talking about suffering and being persecuted, maybe you're thinking, well, even Paul, God rescued him because Paul says that God kept him safe from all persecution in Philippians. And maybe this is the fence you're thinking about. What if, what if we build a fence around ourselves and the fence we build is actually God's protection of our lives? I mean, God could protect us from persecution, right? No. I mean, he could, but that's not a fence you can build. God could protect you from persecution, but whether he chooses to or not does not make him more of God or less of God. His own son died on the cross. And remember, you are not greater than the master. If Jesus was persecuted, it is coming your way too, my way too. Now, allow me to go back to that story of Daniel. See, just three chapters before this incident where, where Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, we see his three friends standing before the greatest king the world had known up until this point. He was the greatest king. Anything he wanted, he said, I want that, and he got it. Be it kingdoms, be it cities, he just destroyed everything in his path. He was the most powerful man, and no one ever said no to him until three slaves stood before him, and they said to him, with all due respect. Now, that's not in scripture. That's Barak International Translation, okay? <laughs> um, but let me just say, if ever someone says to you, with all due respect, whatever comes after that has no respect whatsoever, <laughs> okay? So let us look at how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to the king, with all due respect. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king who has ever lived, he has overthrown everything and everyone. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Verse 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up with all due respect. <laughs> Remember, this persecution that Jesus has promised, God is capable of saving you from it. He's able to keep you from it, to protect you from it, to shield you from it, but even if he doesn't, he is still God. Paul puts it this way in Philippians, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I don't know which is better. If I get to live, I get to live for him. But if I get to die, I get to be with him. Therefore, the question is, what is keeping you from living for Jesus right now? And then we go to do. Verse 22 says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. 
Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have sinned, yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. In case you missed it again, Jesus wants the disciple to know it's nothing personal. It is just persecution. They hated me without reason. They will hate you also without reason. But also notice this. This great persecution that is looming and coming our way, that persecution is made even greater because of the world's guilt. The world will be okay with you for as long as your way of life, your faith, does not interfere with what the world holds dear. See, if, if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego if they just bowed to the image of the king, they would have been fine. They would never have ended up in the furnace. If Daniel did not honor God and did what everyone else in the kingdom did, he would have been okay. He would never have been thrown into the lion's den. It's the same thing. If Paul, if all these people, if Stephen, all of them, if they just towed the line and did what the world wanted, they would have been okay. You would be okay if we minimize ourselves, if you minimize yourself in the face of the growing pressure of the world, if we choose to conform to what the world is doing and not to live for Jesus, you will be okay. But if we live for Jesus, we will be persecuted. Jesus says to them in verse 21, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. They do not know the one who sent me. Jesus has revealed to us who God is. The only reason we know God is because Jesus has reconciled us to God. Because the world does not know God the way we know God, the world will hate, attack, and persecute those who represent God. Now you could look at this and vindictively say, God will judge them. That, that's one way of looking at persecution. The better way, though, is this. You could look at this statement that Jesus says that they do not know the one who sent him and think and have compassion and sympathy for the persecutors. You could actually say, imagine, they do not know God. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, write this, writes this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. The word ambassador again is just a hint to remind you, you are not of the world. You are in it to tell them about Jesus. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are called to the same ministry of Jesus, a ministry of reconciliation. And that is exactly what Jesus wants us to do. Not to retreat and hide from the world to keep ourselves safe from persecution, but instead to live for him in the world, to represent him and to show the world and to show others his light. The unfortunate consequence of it is that it will offend some. Jesus says this in verse 24, if I had not done among them works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have sinned, and yet they have hated both me and my father. He says, if, 
essentially, if he did not show them the light, they would not hate him. They would not have known that they were in the darkness. Essentially, if he had not told them that he is the way, they wouldn't have known they were lost. Essentially, he is telling them that because I have told them, they hate me because now they know their sin. And here it is. Maybe this is how you build your short fence around yourself. Maybe you're thinking, I can believe in Jesus Christ. And I can live for Jesus. However, I do not have to tell anyone. I do not have to speak for Jesus. I do not have to share the gospel. You're thinking to yourself, maybe, you know, all of us can be in the Lord's army. But some of us need to be in the secret service. Yeah? (laughs) The most hateful thing you could do to those around you is to keep the good news of Jesus Christ to yourself. That's the most hateful thing you could ever do. And remember, hate is no longer a fence-building option. You must tell others of the gospel. You must tell them what Jesus has done for you and what he can do for them. At the beginning of this sermon, I asked you to put a pin on something. I hope you remember it. Because I told you I will come back to it later. This is a verse I asked you to put a pin on. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. See, throughout this someone I've told you how Jesus walks them through in this course of these verses. He says to them, they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They hated me, they will hate you also. But you see, earlier in this verse 14, he says, chapter 14, he says, greater works shall we do. See, most of us want to hang on to the greater works that we shall do. That promise is the one we want. Most of us want to do greater works than Jesus. But he revises the same idea of greater works or works when it comes to chapter 15. Do not worry, essentially. Greater works you will do. But do you know what came with the great works of Jesus Christ? Verse 24 says, If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have sinned, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. See, the great works of Jesus brought with them guilt, and that guilt came heavy with hate, which led to persecution and eventually Jesus being crucified and persecuted. If we desire to do greater works than the ones Jesus did, then we should be prepared to face greater persecution than he faced as well. Then maybe we could live like we sing, I will not bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I will rejoice because you're in there too. And I won't be formed by feelings. I will hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I will be crucified with you. Because death is just a doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I will join you when you rise. And when you return in in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing. My song will be the same. Christ be magnified for his glory and our joy. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this message. It's hard to do an encouraging message on persecution because as I say it, maybe there are some here who are thinking of families they've left behind because of choosing to follow you. Maybe some are thinking of countries they cannot go back to 
Maybe some are thinking and counting the cost right now of what is at stake at them living for you right now. Maybe some are thinking of promotions they've been passed over on or profits they have not made because they chose to be honest and not lie. Lord, I thank you for each and every one who has chosen to live for you. Thank you for the comfort you give us that you have overcome the world. Lord, I pray that this week as we have more opportunities to live for you, that Lord, we will honor you and you will give us your courage through your Holy Spirit to stand up and represent you at our places of work, at our places of dwelling, at our places of study, where we live and where we are, may we represent you. Lord, I pray that it shall be like this song we're about to sing. And as the chorus says that you wore our sin, I will gladly wear your name. May it be that we choose the Jesus way for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.